like that. Boom. Hey, good morning. Was that awesome worship or what? I mean, oh, you know, it's hard for me to get right up after all that has just transpired and compose myself. So here we go. Well, good morning. My name is Bill Walker. For those of you who may not know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church and uh, so excited that you are here today, really of all days, because we are in the, in the beginning stages of a brand new expository series out of this thing called the, the book of Titus. And so what I want to do with you this morning is kind of give you a bit of an overview about who Titus is and the situation that, that gives the background to the book. So we're going to kind of an introduction to it. And my hope today is, with some of the groundwork we'll be doing, that when you read it, and you're going to read it, right? Thank you. When, it's only three chapters long. Come on, it's only, like, it's only a few verses. So when you read it, you'll have a better understanding of exactly where it's coming from and what's going on in the middle of it. So uh, I'm going to give you an introduction today. Next week, uh, a good friend of mine, Nathan Bryant, will actually be here from Team Canada. I spent two years in Toronto working with Nathan. And uh, Nathan was actually one of the key elements in me actually coming to Grace Church to be your pastor, uh, which today marks the fourth anniversary in which I have been here. You, you, you can't clap too loud. It looks like I paid you to do that. So, so but, but if, if you've been good about the ministry we've had here for the last four years, when you see Nathan next week, thank him. And if you don't like what happened over the last four years, kick him in the shin, okay? And just tell him I told you you could. But he played a big role in, in me coming here. So really, really grateful for Nathan, and I hope you really enjoy him. I'm uh, not exactly sure what Bambi and I are going to be doing. Uh, we have some family issues in Maine, a mother who's not well, and some things going on. So we might have to slip up there to actually help out a little bit, but... That is what it is. So this morning, we're going to begin with square one. We are going to talk today about the book of Titus. But before you can talk about the book, you've got to find the book first. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me to the little three-chapter book called Titus. You will find it in the latter half of the New Testament of your Bibles. You know, it's interesting. The Bible goes, you know, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then there's this 1 and 2 Thessalonians. All of those books that I have just mentioned are churches. Those are churches or groups of people to whom the Apostle Paul has written various letters or correspondences to help the churches be on track for Jesus Christ. So all those other books that I just mentioned are, are groups of people that Paul wrote letters to, largely for them to be read in the midst of the people. But right after those letters comes three little letters in our Bibles called First and Second Timothy and the wee little bitty book of Titus. These are very different. These are often referred to as pastoral epistles or letters or correspondences between the Apostle Paul and a couple of his young protégés. One being Timothy, he wrote First and Second Timothy, to Timothy whom he had put in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus to lead. And then he also wrote another little book called Titus to another young man that was uh, very important in the life of the Apostle Paul whom he left on the island of Crete in order to do pastoral ministry work. So when you read First and Second Timothy or Titus, I want you to understand, these were never meant to be read in the assembly. 
because he's going to say some very personal things here and some very offensive things that if the people were to hear what Paul had said about them, they may actually be very offended. So, so we're going to be taking a peek into this wee little book called Titus together. So, you know, if you're going to bend a page, maybe you can do that. If you're going to use your little ribbon, do that. Whatever it takes, we're going to come back here over, over, and over again. So you're going to wear this part of your Bibles open and out. Uh, that's the plan. Now, we're going to be doing what's called expository uh, messages out of Titus. And the word expository simply means to expose. Simply means to expose the text. And so what we're going to do is we're going to understand what the Apostle Paul was writing and what he meant and how Titus would have understood and received what Paul was saying. And then what we're going to do as we make our way through this series is we're going to draw application from what this correspondence between Paul and Titus was really all about. Some of the application is going to be to the church as a whole. Because he was speaking about how to establish churches. And he was talking about church leadership. That will be directly applicable to us as a church as a whole. But there's also a lot of individual aspects as to what he was writing about that we can actually individually apply in our lives as well. So we're going to be looking in the book of Titus, a personal correspondence between Paul and Titus. And we're going to be looking at it verse by verse, thought block by thought block, as we make our way through it. Now, the challenge, generally, for somebody who wants to be an expositor of the Word of God is to help people to connect with what's being written. You see, Titus was written in the first century Mediterranean world. Well, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but we live in the 21st century America, amen? There's a big gap there. I mean, he, he wrote this in what we would call the first millennium oral culture. We live in the third millennium, a high-technology culture. So the challenge is, how do you bridge that gap so that we can fully appreciate exactly what is being said here? And so often we use a metaphor or we use something within the culture to help bridge the difference. And so what I've chosen to use as we examine the book of Titus together is this thing called Mission Impossible. How many of you remember the old TV series? Remember these guys? Yeah, okay, three of you have your hands up. You're, we're the gray hairs in the room. Yes, yes. So here we have uh, Peter Graves, who was uh, Jim Phelps, the original agent on, on Mission Impossible. This, this was a TV series from 66 to 73 on CBS. It was later reprised and shown on ABC in 88 and 80, uh, 89. So here we have, here's Leslie Ann Warren back in the day. And then there's this dude over here. Who's that? Yeah, what, what is Spock doing there? Was this like a, an episode of Star Trek, you know, and he was like doing Mission Impossible? No, he was actually on the program for two years. And so he was almost doing double dipping at this point because he was on a very successful show called Mission Impossible. At the same time, he was doing some unknown original series called Star Trek over here. And, and so uh, he was in this as well. So some of us have this mental image uh, of Mission Impossible, but more than likely, uh, most of us know Mission Impossible by the movies that have been reprised and, and the, mission, uh, the series re-kicked off uh, by none other than Tom Cruise in his character Ethan Hunt. So we have a place setting. How many of you have at least have some knowledge of Mission Impossible? Okay, that's good. That's most of us. That's helpful. 
Because it's going to help us to bridge the gap between today and the first century. It's going to help us to bridge the gap between our present culture and what Paul was saying to Titus back then. So, whether it is the TV series or it is the movie series, they both have the basic same premise, and this is it. The IMF, as it was known, the Impossible Mission Force, would take on covert missions to thwart or overthrow evil dictators or organizations, and each mission would come with an unusual message, and each mission was actually considered to be an absolutely impossible task. Hence, the book of Titus. The book of Titus, my friends, is none other than Mission Impossible. Titus, your mission, and you cannot refuse it, is to go all over the island of Crete and install qualified leadership in each of the churches, equipping the new believers to live out godly lives of good works in a very pagan, godless culture. And this message will not self-destruct in five seconds. Thank God for that, huh? So the Holy Spirit preserved this letter to Titus so that we too can have it today, so that we too can glean the same truths that Paul was seeking to communicate to Titus and the churches on Crete for ourselves today. What I want to do in just the next few minutes together is I want to take a little bit of a look at the, at the man Titus, what we know about him from the Scriptures, and then I want to actually step into the mission that Paul put him on and how absolutely impossible the mission that Paul had given him really was. And then I want to, last of all, just kind of give a brief overview of the message itself uh, so that we can see how it's all meant to fit together and it's all meant to play out. So let's begin by looking at the man Titus, a.k.a. Ethan Hunt. He is a special agent, if you will, of the Apostle Paul. He was a trusted member of the IMFG, the Impossible Mission Force for the Gospel. That's who he was. He was the Apostle Paul's personal and trusted agent and associate. In fact, we know, according to Titus chapter 1 and verse 4, that Paul himself recruited Titus for the missions. It said this of Titus. He says, Titus, you are my true son in the common faith, if you will. What he is saying is, Titus came to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching and the teaching of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Hence, he became a true uh, son uh, of faith under Paul. Now, what I want to do as we make our way through this series, and today in particular, is every once in a while we're going to take a little pause. And in the pause, we're going to try a little personal application. So, we just met Titus. We understand that Paul recruited him. But I want to say this, those of us here today who would say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, you know, we have come by the grace of God through faith, repentance and faith, and we have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. What I want you to understand, what happened 
is that you have likewise been recruited by God himself into the IMFG. We are in the impossible mission force for the gospel. So we are all agents on the ground for the sake of Jesus Christ going out and reaching out with his love to friends and neighbors and co-workers and loved ones all in an effort to liberate them from the evil kingdom of darkness and place them into God's kingdom of his dear son. We do that by loving them and sharing with them the message of the gospel of God's grace. So did you know that you are a secret agent for the kingdom of God here today. Did you? Do you feel kind of, dude, I'm a secret agent. That's right. I'm going to show you just how amazing that truly, truly is. So what I next want to do is I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the missions that the Apostle Paul sent Titus on that made him such a trusted member uh, of Paul's team. So what I'm going to do is I want to drop back and I want to look into a little bit of what the book of Acts tells us uh, about this man, uh, Titus. So what we have here is the Mediterranean world. Uh, up here is Greece, Italy. Over here is modern-day Turkey, or in biblical times, this was Galatia. And over here is Antioch, and down here, of course, Jerusalem in Israel. Antioch was a city with a vibrant early Christian church. And it was where the Apostle Paul did much of his teaching. It was in this area that the church was largely Gentile, Gentile Christians. And it was here that the Apostle Paul most likely led Titus into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The day came where a huge controversy had come about in the life of the early church. And that controversy was this. Can someone who is a Gentile, i.e. not Jewish, can someone who is a Gentile come directly into Christianity simply by the grace of God and repentance and faith in the person of Christ, be born again in a, in a follower of Christ, or is it necessary before they can do that, they first must become Jewish by taking upon the sign of circumcision and keeping the Mosaic law, then they can truly follow Christ. You see, Old Testament becomes, comes before New Testament, right? The Old Testament comes before the New Testament, right? Yeah. So their thinking was, well, this was God's early revelation, and so you had to do that first before you could jump onto the second half. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. This is a brand new thing. The church is a new thing, separate from Israel of old. And so Paul took a, a, a group of people. It was Paul, there was um, Barnabas, and there was Titus. And if you were to turn to Acts chapter 15, you would discover they left the Gentile church up here in Antioch, and they traveled on down to the church in Jerusalem. This was the mother church. This is where it all began in Acts chapter 2. And they came down for this thing called the Jerusalem Council, where all the heavyweights were going to weigh in as to what they think should be. So there was James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the head of the Jerusalem church. Peter was there. Paul was there. Barnabas, Titus, and others. And they had this huge gathering, and they wrestled greatly over exactly the role that the law and circumcision played in this thing called Christianity. And Paul said, it has no role to play in this thing called Christianity. You see, 
a Gentile, without the law and without circumcision, can become a vibrant follower of Jesus Christ simply by faith. And if, and if you don't believe me, and if you don't believe me, here's Titus. He's not been circumcised. Check him out for yourself. <laughs> Poor Titus. It's like, here's exhibit A. He believes in Jesus. He's not a Jew, and he's never gone through Jewish rites, and yet he's an ardent follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said this in the book of Galatians. This was the big controversy up in Galatia in that day too. And he said this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 3. Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And so if you're a Gentile male here today, and you're grateful that faith in Christ is what gets you into a relationship with God and ultimately takes you to heaven without having surgery, say amen. Oh, is that it? Come on. Amen. Oh, my gosh. You know, I remember back in the day when I was listening to uh, Mike and Mike in the morning. Mike and Mike, you know, the uh, sports guys? You have uh, Mike Greenberg, who's Jewish, and you have Mike Golick, the big guy, who is Roman Catholic. He went to uh, Notre Dame, so he's Roman Catholic. And they were talking about religion. You know, that's, that shows about everything, sports and everything else. But they were talking about religion one day, and Golick was talking about doing Lent and giving things up. And then Greeny says, no, 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 no. to be Jewish is so much easier. All it takes is a major donation and a minor operation, and you're in like Flynn. All I can say is, I'm glad it's no longer that way. I'm glad it's by faith alone in Christ alone. And so Titus was actually exhibit A. He had the uncomfortable privilege of being the, the prop of the Apostle Paul to make his point at the Jerusalem Council. So here we have this guy, and he has proven to be faithful in this mission. Which meant that now Titus was going to have more opportunities because he proved faithful there. So, the Apostle Paul decided to take Titus with him on his third missionary journey. So, let's kind of change up the map a little bit. When Paul took his third missionary journey, he left Antioch with, with uh, Titus and others. And he went back through this area. And he went up and around. And he met with all the churches. And so he was going back, the same churches he had connected with in his second missionary journey, he was connecting again. But the Apostle Paul largely spent most of his time in Ephesus during that journey. But while he was in Ephesus, some problems were happening in the Corinthian church over in Corinth. And Corinth was known as a hotbed of sexual deviance. In fact, the word to Corinthianize means to live an absolutely immoral lifestyle. So this was the church in Corinth. These people got saved out of that environment. But the problem was is they brought some of their practices into the life of the church. And that can't be. So Paul was having correspondence and he was trying to deal with them. And so what happened was Titus ended up becoming his personal emissary. If you were going back and forth between uh, Corinth and, and uh, Ephesus where Paul was, trying to deal with problems in the church. So in a very real way, we have Titus, special agent Titus, going into Corinth. And there in Corinth, he was trying to defuse explosive situations before they could explode and, and ruin the gospel in that community. So in a very real way, he was a special agent doing Mission Impossible all over the place for the Apostle Paul. So this is what he did. And then there was one other huge role that Titus played uh, here in Corinth. And that is... On the third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul was taking up an enormous financial offering. 
he was going around to all these Gentile Christian churches, and he was asking them to give sacrificially, and they were going to take up the offering that came through these churches, and they were going to take it back to the mother church in Jerusalem because they were going through a time of huge famine, and there were lots of needs. And Paul thought, if we can show the Jewish Christians the Gentile Christians' willingness to sacrifice for their needs, it would only build well for the Christianity as it moved forward. But you know what? Very few things will ruin a ministry like money. And so um, I heard one pastor one time say this, there are three things, one of three things, or three things, that will ultimately ruin a man's ministry. And you can summarize them as gold, girls, or glory. Any one of those will ruin you. And so the Apostle Paul was hypersensitive to taking up this enormous financial gathering and not being accused of being deceitful. So what he did was he used Titus as the key guy. We know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says this, accordingly, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, accordingly, we have urged Titus that as he has started among you in Corinth, so he should complete among you this act of grace, which is giving to the Jerusalem need. We take this course so that no one should blame us about a generous gift and how we're administrating it. Paul was hypersensitive to this. For we claim at what, for we aim at what is honorable. Now, Titus's name means honorable. Perfect guy. That was his character. We aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of all men. Money can really mess up ministries. So we are sending you our brother Titus, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now most earnest, uh, more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you there in Corinth. Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker for your benefit. So this is Titus. Okay, let's take a little aside, a little by way of application. The Bible says this concerning the Christian life. Moreover, it is required of a servant or steward to be found faithful. God's primary criterion for his, his followers is faithfulness. And if you are faithful in little things, you will be given more things. And if you are faithful in more things, you will be still given more opportunity and responsibility and privilege. And ultimately, we're looking for that day where we will step from this life into the next, and our master will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And we know that based upon how we handle the affairs of life here, it will have direct impact on the opportunity and the position and the possessions for eternity. So Titus is a perfect example of faithfulness. He started out in the little things. Hey, Titus, I want you to be a prop for me down in Jerusalem in front of all these really big dudes. And it's like, oh gosh, okay, Paul, I'll do it. He did it. And now, Titus, I want you to follow me as I go all around the Aegean world. Okay. I want you to go back and forth to the city of Corinth for me. Okay, Paul, I'll do that. And I want you to take a large amount of money, and I want you to make sure it gets handled properly. You got it, Paul. You see, that's life. And we know that to be true at our workplaces, don't we? If you're good with the details, and if you're faithful, all of a sudden advancement happens. It's true in the church as well. 
Maybe some of you have been asked to work nursery. That's such a little thing. And yet, faithfulness there is, is a requirement before you get other opportunities and bigger opportunities to ultimately honor the Lord. So what we have in Titus is exactly this. Faithfulness. His name means honorable. All right. Let's get to Crete. It's <laughs> taken us a long time to get there. All right, so let me change the map just a little bit. Let me explain what's going on. Um, so let me throw Rome into the mix. <clears throat> what happened is right after the third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul ended up taking the offering from these churches, and he went back to Jerusalem to give it to the Jerusalem church. While he was in Jerusalem, he was accused of offending the Jews, and he was arrested. Ultimately, he wound up in the city of uh, Caesarea, and ultimately, he wound up take, being taken to Rome to stand trial because he was a Roman citizen. He was there for about two years under house arrest before he was let go. Now, we're getting beyond the book of Acts here. We don't know exactly what transpired, uh, but we believe that the Apostle Paul, because his, his detractors, those people who accused him, didn't show up, ultimately Paul was simply let go. After Paul was let go, we believe that he went back over to the area here and joined up with Titus. And he and Titus launched out from the mainland and traveled down to the island of Crete. And they went from one end of the island to the other proclaiming Jesus Christ. And people were getting redeemed, saved and thus, they were establishing local assemblies of believers. So, Crete is the fifth largest island in the Mediterranean. It's only about 160 miles long by about 37 miles wide at its widest. And it's an absolutely stunningly beautiful island. Look at this image. Wow. This water is crystal clear, and you can see down, you know, 100 feet or more. Very rugged terrain, very gloriously beautiful island. Look at that beach. How many would like to go to that beach right about now? Oh, yeah, especially with the cold weather we got going on. But you know what I found really interesting is that Crete, while it, it's, it's here, obviously, at sea level, in the middle of the island, and it's only 30-some-odd miles wide, in the middle of the island, it soars up to over 8,000 feet. And they have what they call the White Mountains. I thought those were in New Hampshire. But actually, they're apparently on Crete as well. And the reason they call them the White Mountains is because there's often snows on them. In the middle of the Mediterranean, it snows. It does in Crete at 8,000 feet. So this is this magnificent island, just glorious, incredible, and beautiful. Then all of a sudden, something happened. Paul had to leave. Paul had to leave. I, we don't know if there was another issue in Corinth. There was always an issue in Corinth, so we don't know if he had to run back to Corinth or Athens or Ephesus. We don't know exactly why he had to leave. Some people actually believe that Paul had such an itching to go to Spain, to go where the name of Christ had never been named, to share Christ with a group of people that had never heard of him. Some people believe that Paul was so itching to get off the island to do what he needed to do that he left Titus there. Because he wasn't done there. There was a lot that had to be done. So he left Titus. And poor Titus. Titus was now responsible to finish the work that he and Paul had started. And what I want you to notice about the work is it was an absolutely mission impossible. <laughs>
This is why I left you in Crete, Paul said to Titus, so that you might put what remains in order. And part of that included putting qualified leadership over the churches. So if you will, Titus, Titus, your mission, and you cannot refuse to take it because I took the only boat off the island. I've left you there, man. Your mission um, it, it is this, to go all over the island of Crete and to install qualified leadership in each of the churches, equipping new believers to live out godly lives of good works in a very pagan, godless culture. And again, thankfully, this message did not self-destruct in five seconds. And so this is the mission that he gave to Titus. And you're thinking, okay, that's a cool thing. Well, actually, let me explain to you just how tough this mission was going to be. The Apostle Paul, again, this was a personal correspondence. This was never meant to be read aloud to the people on Crete, okay? Because what Paul's about to say is highly offensive, I'm sure, to the people on Crete. But Paul told Titus a little bit about these Cretans. And he said this in Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He said, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. Now, Paul is actually quoting a, a Cretan poet, prophet, and religious reformer from about the 5th century B.C. by the name of Epimenides. And this is what Epimenides had to say about his own people. Cretans are always, what's the word? And they are, and they are, and what does Paul say? That's right. So, you know, Titus, do me a favor. I like these people. I want them to grow in Christ. Don't read this out loud. But this is the truth. This is the national character or flaws of this group of people. And Paul was going to, to encourage Titus. Titus, you've got to fix this problem. And so Paul actually instructs him a little bit with some of the issues that were there. When he talked about them being liars, I want you to notice it says this in Titus 1, verses 15 and 16. He said to Titus, Titus, I want you to know, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is really pure. Because both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess. Now he's talking about the people on Crete. Those people who are starting to grow in these, these assemblies, these churches. They profess to know God. But they deny him by their works. Their lives weren't lining up with what they claimed. And whether that was thoughtful lying, they were known for liars. Again, the, word, the Greek word for to lie is to cretinize. To cretinize. If you were a cretin, that was a way of saying, man, you're a liar. So these people were known for their lying. They were good at it. They were so good at it, they actually in the Greek world were known as liars. So whether they were really good at, at lying or whether they were self-deceived, we don't know. But Paul was warning them, uh, warning Titus, that there were a number of people who were gathering into the assemblies who claim one thing, but their lives are saying something very different. So beware, beware. By the way, fix that, would you, Titus? Fix that. Deal with the lying. Fix it. Okay. He also referred to them as evil beasts. Evil beasts. They were like wild animals in their attitudes towards one another. Again, Titus chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said this. Listen, Titus, I want you to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. We already dealt with that in, in the Jerusalem Council. Let's get behind that. As for a person who stirs up division 
after warning them once and then twice, I want you to have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. So what was going on is, again, the description here is primarily for those who at least profess to be Christians, but again, their lives were betraying it. They were more interested in creating factions in the body of Christ through their foolish controversies, lineages, disagreements, and quarrels than they were about building up the body of Christ. They were actively tearing it apart like brute animals, creating division, rather than building the body and focusing on the gospel and the need of the world around them. And so what does he say? Rebuke them once, rebuke them twice, and then move on. Kick them out. That's actually a, a form of church discipline he's referring to here. So, liars, deal with them. Evil beast, fix that, would you, Titus? And one more thing, they're also terribly, terribly lazy gluttons. They were pleasure seekers. They weren't very interested in the hard work of godliness. And Paul speaks to this in Titus 3.3, where he describes our lives before we come to Christ. And so he says this, For we, and Paul's putting himself in here, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves and slaves to our various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hating others and being hated or hating one another. And so again, these people are, are still connected so much to their old way of life. The question is, do they have a new way of life? Hey, Titus, they're liars. Set that in order. Hey, Titus, they're evil beasts. Set that in order. Hey, Titus, they're lazy gluttons. Set that in order. Wow, dude. Talk about Mission Impossible. It is tough. Take this group of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, Titus, and I want you to equip them to live out godly lives of good works in a pagan and godless culture. That sounds impossible to see that kind of transformation happen where the national identity is known for being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so what we have is, Titus, you've got to fix this, man. You've got to fix this. Can I just say another aside right here? This was Titus's mission. It was to help this ungodly group of people be godly and affect their community. Can I just say by way of extension, that's my job. My job is to help you to live godly lives in the midst of a very godless culture so that we can ultimately make an impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our neck of the woods. That's, a, that's my mission. That's my goal for you. And, and can I just say, there are times where it really does feel like it's mission impossible.
Can I just say that Tom Cruise has got nothing on Titus? That's actually easy compared to what Titus was asked by Paul to accomplish on the island of Crete. That was a real mission. Well, let me just talk to you for a quick second about how he was to accomplish this. Uh, He's actually been given some tools by the Apostle Paul that we can discern from the letter of Titus. And so, here's the tools he gave to Titus in order to accomplish this mission he left him to do. Tool number one, and this will always be the number one tool of helping people to live godly in Christ Jesus, and that is that every person needs to personally experience repentance and faith in the gospel of grace. Apart from that, there is no way that we can ever live a transformed life that honors God. And so what you have in the little book of Titus is two very compact but powerful statements of the gospel. About 20% of the material that he told Titus actually involves the message of the gospel of grace. Notice with me, if you have your Bibles, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. This is powerful. He said this, Titus, the grace of God has already appeared, and he has already brought salvation for the people who believe. And that grace is designed to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, our former life and lifestyle, and now to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. All the while we're waiting for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. He didn't just save us. He redeems us. That means to buy back from the slave market of sin. He has redeemed us from all lawlessness in order to purify Jesus did himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. My friends, that's the gospel. It's not just believe in Jesus and go to heaven. It is embrace Christ with your life. Watch him transform you by the same grace that saves you. And now your life is about others. It's no longer about you because you're doing good works. My friends, that's the gospel. A lot of these people say, oh, I know God. But they had not experienced the transformation of life that goes with that statement. Again, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, here's another presentation of the gospel. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Praise God. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not because we were good enough. But according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and the renewal of the work of the Holy Spirit whom God has poured out in us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, that is, declared righteous before God by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, Titus, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, those who have believed in God, will be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. The gospel, Titus, the gospel. Don't let people think they've got it if they don't have it. It begins by an honest-to-goodness repentance of the former life, renunciation of a former life, and thus embracing Jesus Christ for new life. So it begins with the gospel of grace. And then it goes forward with this constant affirmation of sound doctrine. Titus, they have to know the truth. Titus, they have to know the truth in Christ. They have to know the truth about God. They have to know the truth about themselves. They have to know the truth about the world. Teach them sound doctrine. And then also, not only does it take sound doctrine, but it will also take strong correction. It's interesting. Uh, Well, let's see. One, two, three, 
Three times here in the little book of Titus, only three chapters, three times, he uses the word rebuke. I want you to rebuke them. How many like to be rebuked? But rebuking is essential for correction. If we just keep going on in our own way, in our own lifestyle, doing our own thing, and nobody ever says you can't do that and honor God, you'll never really change your way. And so what he is saying to Titus is, Titus, you not only need to be careful to teach sound doctrine, but you also need to be constantly rebuking, correcting people's way of living their lives. In fact, if people do not receive rebuke, in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we have that portion of Scripture where he says, after the first and second time, if they don't change, you, you move on. You just let them go. So the gospel of grace, sound doctrine, strong correction, Godly living. Much of the letter is devoted to godly living. What should the leaders of your church look like? What should their characteristics be? What does it look like to be a godly uh, older man, and a godly older woman, a godly younger woman, and a godly young man look like? It's right there. We're going to talk about that. And then even how we're meant to interact with the world around us is there. The gospel of grace, Titus. Sound doctrine, Titus. Strong correction, Titus. Godly living, Titus. And then lastly, be about doing good. Be about doing good. How else will an unsaved world know that something's truly happened in our lives if we can't put our own lives aside and truly help others? In fact, doing good, it says this, um, you are to do good works. Uh, Titus, you are to model good works. Uh, later on, he says this, Christ redeems us so that we will have a people zealous of good works. We are to vote, devote ourselves to good works. And he closes the letter with these words. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful in our lives. Titus, these are your tools, man. Use them well. Wage war on this issue of lying and being evil beasts and lazy gluttons. They need to learn to live godly in Christ Jesus. And so that brings us, lastly, to the issue of the message. You see, these are the tools he's just, he's just laid out for us. But let me show you the strategy. Here's the strategy he gave to Titus to achieve the mission of godliness. So here we have the book of Titus. This is the theme of the book of Titus. The theme of the book of Titus is to grow in godliness. They lived in a very godless age, and so their goal was to grow them in godliness. And it always begins here, Titus. It has to begin in the church. It must begin in the church. If it's going to affect the lives of the people, if it's going to affect the lives of the community, it has to begin in the house of God. Amen. It has to begin here. Therefore, Titus, be very careful to appoint godly leaders. This is essential. We're actually going to take some time to talk about this, uh, the idea of plurality of elders and their character. We're going to talk a little bit about that, how that applies to us as a church, Grace Church. Uh, also, not only appoint godly leaders, but the, they also have to know how to oppose false teachers. How do you deal with the, 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 the false teaching that's going on? So it begins in the church, Titus. Start with the church. And then I want you to encourage to move it into the home life. Because people are only godly at church, there's something wrong. It has to start in the church, but then it should spill over into the home life. And I want you to teach people godly living. What does that look like? What does that mean in their lives? And then I want you to remind them constantly, it's always by God's grace. It's always by God's grace that we are trained in godliness. So it begins in the church, it moves into the home, and then lastly, it moves out into the world and there he tells them, 
Titus, I want you to remind them of godly ethics in this world in which we live. And then lastly, I want you to remind them. Come on, one more back. Come on, one more back. I want you to remind them of the gospel of grace. Because that's what it's going to take, ultimately, to see our neighbors know Jesus Christ. This is where we're going. This is where we're going. And so I hope that you will take some time to read through the wee little book of Titus. I bought a brand new Bible to break in. Maybe it's your time to buy a new Bible. We're going to use the ESV as we do our walk through it. Maybe you'd like to get one at this point. I think that's cool. Uh, Let's break in our Bibles together, shall we? And uh, we'll mark them up really good and grow in godliness as a result of our studies together. Amen?